I'm Yolanda Cope-Stepney and you're listening to Speak On, a podcast where we discuss society, culture, well-being and more. Things are hard right now, but it's cool. We've got this, I think. General conversation about mental health has increased over the years as we seek to better understand ourselves and each other. The opening up of this topic has been beneficial to society to erode stigma and lobby for better support services. Before lockdown, Speakon was due to hold its first event, a day of talks, discussions and workshops around men's health and mental health. I chose that subject because as women, we have been asking ourselves questions and delving into our psyches from the moment we opened up the pages of Sugar, More or Just 17 and filled in a quiz to work out our own personality types. We're socialised to talk, discuss, reflect and journal. Then we enter into relationships with men who haven't been lucky enough to be socialised to do this or see men in our lives struggle with their mental health. During lockdown, we've been baking, doing virtual workouts or obsessively gardening to boost our moods. And then it occurred to me once when I was screaming into the abyss myself of boredom and madness, should we be more worried about men's mental health right now? Because I was still going through all the processes of doing the things that I would usually do to boost my mood. But if they haven't done it before, how do they know what to do? I'm joined by Alexis Court, podcaster, writer and mental health advocate. His essay, The Thread of Sadness, was featured in the best-selling mental health book, It's Okay Not to Feel Blue. And I'm also joined by Jessica Gallia, founder of the Martin Gallia Project, dedicated to preventing suicides and breaking down stigmas and supporting families. So thank you so much for joining me, guys. So we'll start with the first question. Should we be more worried about men's mental health right now? So I'll go to you first, Alexis. Well, I think all of our mental health has taken a bit of a battering over lockdown. A lot of our regular coping mechanisms have been taken away, as well as the fact that we are dealing with a unforeseen global pandemic, which is naturally going to kind of like throw up a lot of things (laughs) in the air and challenge how you feel. And where people might have had certain conscious or unconscious coping mechanisms, a lot of those have been taken away. And I think for men who stereotypically, and apologies, we are going to be talking in quite a few stereotypes as we go through this chat today, men stereotypically aren't particularly good at talking through their feelings and reaching out and actually admitting when there is something going on. And I think that we see that because suicide is such a high killer of men alcoholism is much more prevalent in men like anger and depression rates are much higher in men and all of that i think is because our society encourages men to bottle things up be a man don't cry that kind of like old-fashioned really unhealthy machismo idea what it means to be a man yes and so if you're there kind of dealing with this world where everything has changed And suddenly those coping mechanisms you did have, whether that was going to the pub, going to the gym, playing football, any of those more stereotypical things, if they've all gone and suddenly you're unable to have the language or the freedom or the safety to talk about your feelings, Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really risky. Yeah, definitely. And Jessica, what would you suggest we could do, say, for example, if we're worried about someone in our lives, what could we do to reach out and help? 
for men I in think, our um, like you said, Alexis, men, um, men do struggle to ask for help. And a lot of those requests for help come in a really informal way. So in the pub, in the gym, um, playing football. And they come in a really roundabout, informal way where, you know, if you're lucky, you have a friend that flags it up and says, oh, hang on, this, this person doesn't seem quite right, um, you know, this weekend in the pub or on the football pitch. And obviously at the moment, that's not really happening, is it? Because, um, because everybody's so isolated. And I think it comes back to that age-old thing of, of doing a lot more checking in with your friends and a lot more checking in with your family. Um, and it doesn't need to be in a you know, mental health way, just in a human way, um, checking in on um, your know, friends, family, giving them a phone call, giving them a FaceTime. Yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, yeah. But just um, you know, asking how people are, but asking how they really are and then really listening to the answer. Now, if we ask people how they are and perhaps they disclose something to us, tell us that they are struggling with their mental health, they are considering suicide and we brush that off or avoid that conversation because let's face it it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. then we've we've not only not achieved anything there but we've uh, it's been counterproductive because they're less likely to disclose that in the future to someone else so I think yeah. asking the question and being really open and um really uh, readily available to to deal with um that answer should that answer be um yes I am struggling or yes I am considering suicide and not panicking yeah. just holding that space and um and slowing down for a little second and um you know just not panicking about the answer yeah and what resources are there for so for example if someone said that to me who do i reach out to to make sure that i'm supporting that person correctly so it depends where you are in the country i know mm -hmm. um i know here in merseyside um we're here to deal with that the martin gallery project here to deal with that and we support a lot of families and friends and work colleagues um of someone that is um suffering or considering suicide I don't know what there is nationally um, mm -hmm. I know that papyrus um, papyrus are available to debrief so if you've done a suicide intervention with someone you can phone papyrus on their hopeline and they yeah. can debrief you on that because naturally you have a lot of a lot of questions did I do that right did I miss something have I done it wrong have I made it worse so just mm -hmm. bouncing that around with another person to you know to settle your own mind is is best practice and it's really responsible for yeah. your own mental health and your own well-being. I can just jump on in there as I do work, for, well, I volunteer for a, a service called Shout, which is a crisis text line. Um, people just need to text Shout or Start to 85258. And we are a, think of it as kind of like a text equivalent of Samaritans. Um, you can text us 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. Uh, and there are crisis volunteers like me who are on the line and we can take you from that moment where everything feels a bit too much to when actually you're in a much more stable or calmer mood. But we also deal with people who are, we call third party texters, who just like what you're saying there, um, if it's not you who is struggling, but you have had a member of your family or a mate who has said to you, actually, you know what? I'm not feeling good. And I, I feel like I might do something rash. I might enact suicide. Um, we are there to support third party people as well in having that difficult conversation and making sure that they're heard and looked after as well. But I think the biggest advice that we can give anybody is to one, when you're having these conversations, lead from the front and yeah. share how you are feeling genuinely. Don't just do that thing where we all brush it onto the carpet. Oh yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Actually show some of your own vulnerability, 
because that gives them a safe place to share how they're feeling and it makes yeah. them feel not alone. And then just as Jessica said, when they do then share something, really, really honor it and pay attention to it. Don't panic because there's one of these big fallacies and myths out there, which is if we talk about suicide, it's going to make it worse. Yeah. Statistically, factually, that is incorrect. Um, and actually talking about suicide decreases people's chance of enacting suicide. So that's one of the biggest things that we can do. So yeah, Jessica is 100% right there. And there are great services all over the country, including just tech services like Shout 85258. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for that. I wasn't aware of that. That's a great service to know about. Because uh, even just during the beginning of um, lockdown, I had a friend that I was concerned about and... I was worried about what do I say? Am I going to make anything worse? Am I going to trigger him? And he was, he kept saying, I'm okay. I'm fine. And I was like, I know I'm not fine. And I said, dude, I've cried myself to sleep three days in a row. Are you sure you're okay? And then he was like, oh, actually I had that as well. And then opened up a little bit more. So now I know that I can definitely make sure that I'm being way more open about how I feel from the get go. That's really brilliant advice. Okay. So I'd like to find out a little bit more about you. Um, so I'm going to go over to Jessica. So Jessica, why did you start the Martin Gallia project? So I started the Martin Gallia project following my father's suicide in 2017. Uh, in a nutshell, because it is quite a lengthy story, in a nutshell, yeah. we, we knew dad was at risk of suicide. We knew he was considering suicide. He was under the care of a, a lot of services and we were kind of um, desperate to help, but we didn't have the skill set to do that. We didn't know what to do. Now, dad had attempted suicide before and nearly 40% of people that end their own life have a previous attempt. So we went through the inquest process. All this kind of came to light. And I realized that um, people were dying for ridiculous reasons, like waiting lists and criterias and opening hours. And I thought, hang on a minute, there's, there's got to be a better way here. We knew it was coming. He tried before. Um, if we'd had some education behind us, could we have been like a safety net? Mm -hmm. So... Um, the way I see it is if you had a child, you would learn how to inject them with insulin, how to read their blood sugars and stuff like that. And why is it any different for mental health? We've really got to change the perception here and we've got to start treating it the same as any physical ailment. So I, um, I decided that we would set up a project. Initially, the project was to offer an education to families where there was somebody that was either particularly vulnerable or who had attempted before, um, offer like a, a, a free education to them of, you know, suicide first aid how to intervene how to see the signs how to ask the questions how to create a safety plan um but it grew very quickly so initially that was the plan we decided we would need a building to operate from um and then i said okay let's go all in if we're going to have a building to operate from let's make that a building where people can come in like in a self-assessed crisis so they don't need to come with a doctor or anything like that if they believe they're in crisis, they're in crisis and that, that is it. Um, yeah. So the idea was to build that slowly and slowly evolve. Uh, we opened the doors February 19 and by day four, we'd had the first life saving um, intervention. Wow. I thought it was a bit of a fluke, um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't. It, they, people just kept coming and we kept helping them and we just had to hit the ground running and evolve very quickly and react very, very quickly. So on our first birthday, February 2020, we'd saved 400 lives in that year. Wow. And then since coronavirus happened, our demand's gone up by 300%. So um, we've just uh, we've just got to keep going and keep going and keep going, basically. Oh, wow. Well done. Congratulations on setting that up. That's amazing. And 
Alexis, what brought you to become like a mental health advocate? How did you end up contributing to the book? Tell me about it. So similarly to Jessica, I sadly lost a family member to suicide. It's devastating, it's trick and it really, really um, doesn't solve pain. It just transfers the pain to other people. That's how I kind of think about suicide. Yeah. Um, and I like to think that perhaps this could have helped her. Um, and I also know that be, when I was young, when I was a young teenager, growing up in kind of like noughties Britain with the tail end of the Conservative Party's Section 28, which banned the quote unquote promotion of homosexuality in schools, mm-hmm. that had created a, uh, a festering breeding ground for rampant homophobia in schools. Um, homophobic bullying is the number one form of bullying in schools in Britain and young LGBT kids are more than three times likely to have self-harmed or attempted suicide than general heterosexual population. Mental health rates are worse for queer people like myself. The, um, I think the latest statistics are that 20% of heterosexual society experiences mental health issues in their lifetime. It's 52% for queer people. Now, we know that this is not because there is anything inalienable about being queer. There is nothing about being queer that causes mental health issues. It's societal homophobia and pressure, being shamed, being judged, being harassed that causes these things. And I know that when I was a teenager, dealing with the pressure of that, I didn't have the coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. I reverted to self-harm. I reverted to um, like really, really disordered eating and I had a suicide attempt. Now, I didn't want to end my life, but I didn't have the words or the coping mechanisms to actually say this, that I'm in so much pain here. So it could have really helped me as well. And so I am hoping that by myself volunteering with Shout and also writing things like thread of sadness for it's not a case of blue and other lies if we can start to talk about mental health but also the effect of homophobia and that's like societal homophobia as well as active homophobia when I say societal homophobia I mean kind of structural things in there versus active homophobia which is like the group of lads shouting faggot from the car because all of those things do add up anyway um these are just ways that we can help support that all of us has got to try and any way or form that we can can leave the world a little bit better than we found it yeah and having a personal experience both through myself uh, and a relative who died by suicide those things for me was like right okay i need to try and in some small way do my bit and so yeah that's how i started volunteering for shout wow well that's really interesting what you say because obviously we're in the wake of at the moment of black lives matter being brought to the fore and what you were saying about the things being societal and structural, I completely understand that because it's the same with race. It isn't someone just screaming into your eyes and saying, go away, like drop racist expletive here. It's not always that. It's the microaggressions and the constantly having to self-edit and hide yourself and then pretend things aren't happening and being constantly gaslit has a huge effect on black people. And at the moment, it's been, I know that the I've been checking in particularly with other black people in my lives, but particularly the men, because 
our collective mental health is so fragile. I spent last week just sleeping. Couldn't even like, it was hard to make myself a cup of tea. Um, well, there's yeah. such a thing as empathy burnout as well. And there's also third party PTSD. Yeah. So you can experience empathy burnout when you are reading and consuming so much news that is alarming and it's triggering. And, and, yeah. and then third party PTSD is when you see horrific things happening to people that have similar identifying traits as you. Yeah. Because that our brains haven't developed to cope with the way that we consume social media these days. <laughs> really we take we, we take in so much information mm -hmm. and our brain just kind of like has a bit of a scream and internalizes it like yeah. we are experiencing that thing. So absolutely people are people are feeling tired or burnt out like they can't concentrate like their mood is fluctuating like they don't yeah. want to eat yeah it's because we are all experiencing some really crazy emotional fluctuations at the moment. and obviously 2020 being absolutely insane right now as well i mean who who knows what might happen by the end of this conversation we we fully don't know <laughs> so yeah and i suppose at the moment as well we're you know we're in pride month now as well which has so obviously there's so much other stuff happening. We've kind of, some of the the messages and everything else have got a bit lost. But obviously, as we know, Pride Month started as a protest that became a riot. And then now it's this amazing thing that we celebrate. Do you think Pride Month is helping people on the whole to become more accepting of LGBTQ community? And is that going to have a, I suppose, I don't know, positive effects on people's mental health. I'm sorry, that question was all over the place, but it just popped into my head. <laughs> if you'd asked me this a few years ago, I would have said, yes, things are getting better. But now, as we stand, no, things are going backwards oh, wow. and things are getting worse. Um, hate crimes on trans people, physical attacks have increased threefold. Um, in the years since the Brexit referendum, homophobic attacks have massively increased as have all actually hate crimes. So all racial hate crimes, religious yeah. hate crimes have all increased. Homophobic hate crimes have increased more than any other. The day after the Brexit vote, there was a infamous piece of graffiti which is scrawled along Manchester's gay village on Canal Street. Um, we've got the polls, we'll get the fags next. Oh my goodness. And whenever there is this deliberate uh, division in society that is sown by right-wing politicians who are racist, who are homophobic, mm -hmm. who are sexist, who are Islamophobic. Yeah. Whenever we see this happening, it's to scapegoat people who aren't like, quote-unquote, you. Don't blame yeah. us as the government. Blame those people that aren't like you. They're the problem. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it, you talk, it's Pride Month, and... The world's most famous author, J.K. Rowling, chose Pride Month to go uh, on a really, really transphobic rant and deny the existence of trans people, which in uh, itself, people yeah. might think, well, it's just some tweets, but actually that goes out to 14 million people. Yeah. That, that is a weapon and that legitimizes trans discrimination, which, yeah. which trickles down to the classroom. Well, especially because it's actually the someone pointed this out to me earlier because it's happening um, during the uh, campaign where she's asking young people to send her pictures and she's interacting with young people on her channel about her new book. And then right in the middle of it, she drops that. I mean, it's it's interesting is what I'll say. Um, so going over to Jessica, do you think that 
people talking more about mental health, for example, the royal family disclosing issues with mental health and celebrities, influencers talking about it more. Do you think that this is going to help uh, break down stigmas and do you think it's going to help people start to seek help? I'll be controversial yeah. here. Now, obviously, I, I think when someone high profile speaks about uh, mental health, it's great and it does break down those stigmas to a certain extent. But I think the message that we're giving out is completely wrong at the moment. And I think <laughs> we've evolved past the message that's actually been given out. So. Um, when Caroline Flack died, which was heartbreaking, absolutely devastating, we started on this Be Kind campaign, mm -hmm. which is great, great sentiment, but actually you're not backing it up with anything. So you're yeah. telling people to be kind and you're telling people it's okay not to be okay, reach out. But what we're not doing is educating people on what to do when somebody does reach out and when somebody gives you that disclosure. So I actually think it's really irresponsible um, to kind of, t to encourage people to go and reach out and, 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 but not to um, kind of educate the people on what to do when receiving that. Um, it can be really damaging if someone reaches out to someone and that person, I've had it myself. So um, I reached out to someone once and they were so uncomfortable. They said, oh, have you seen the weather today? And oh, wow. I, guess what, I didn't reach out to anyone else for, for a while after that because I was like, oh, okay, we don't, we don't do that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, it's great and it's a great sentiment and and I love it when the royal family get behind it and stuff like that but we've got to back it up with something practical because yeah. at the moment it's just a sentiment and um yeah it's one of those isn't it it's yes it's great that we're doing that side of things but we've got to catch yeah. this side up because they're not they're not really meeting yeah and what would you like to see in that case then would it would you like to see here is the celebrity message and now here is, would you like them to deliver what to do next? Or would you like it that they work more in conjunction with organisations that can give that practical advice? Yeah, I think it's on a larger scale than that. So I think it should be mandatory that you learn about this stuff in school. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we learn about fractions and, and, you know, ridiculous things in school that you'll probably never, ever use. But there was never there was never a time dedicated to mental health and to supporting your peers and things like that. And I think it's it's just for us to move forward and to try and squash these suicide rates a little bit I think it's absolutely necessary to start delivering that from a really young age so anyone that knows me knows that I've got I've got two young children I've got a three and a half year old son and I've got a nine-year-old stepson and we speak to them very openly about mental health even my three and a half year old knows what I do he comes to yeah. see me at work he comes to work events with me as long as it's age appropriate and I just think it's really important that we instill that from such a young age and make sure that you know these kids that are coming up they're going to be our next generation they're going to you know run this country run this world when you know when we're, we're all gone yeah it's really important that they they have some practical skills rather than just a sentiment and then over to Alexis because I know that you've worked with like some of the royals and other people in these campaigns uh what are your thoughts on this well I'd just like to say that what Jessica is doing in terms of how she parents and has those open conversations with her children, we so need more people to be doing that. We have this real issue where people talk like, will say, oh, don't worry, you're a big boy, don't cry, don't cry, you're a big boy. And we start to internalize that at such a young age. And I saw, um, I saw a, a great, kind of like viral tweet by women apologies I don't know who it was but she was saying that you know to my fellow women we say that we want a man who can talk about his feelings but we don't raise our boys to talk about their feelings we want a man who can dance with us but we stop our boys from learning to dance 
we tell our boys we t- want a man who looks after himself but we tell our boys that that's girly mm-hmm. so parents have a huge um huge part to play in this so like well done jessica it's like it's it's difficult and it's awkward to have these conversations with kids it's so so vital um so personally i think we should go back to jessica in a moment to kind of like four <laughs> tips for parents but i'll go i'll get to answering your question about the broils now um i do agree with jessica in that that whole obviously what happened with caroline flack was tragic and yes people should be kind but one of the things that i think's become quite insidious about this be kind idea is how it's been used to shut discussion down and to shut criticism down yeah and i've particularly seen it by a whole load of conservative mps and piers morgan whenever anyone criticized them they're like oh what happened to the be kind you need to be kind I'm like okay being kind doesn't doesn't mean we can't criticize you yes yeah don't go for someone with pitchforks and the torches mm-hmm. but have difficult conversations that's not being unkind yeah. anyway Going finally to your actual question about <laughs> what it was like. Um, one of the things I think is really good about having um, Caden Williams' involvement in Shout 85258, which was a charity which they did help set up. It was is one of the Royal Foundation charities. And uh, I'm now allowed to speak about this. So this is the first time I've actually been allowed to publicly speak about this. William oh. is volunteering on the platform as well. So William is a trained crisis volunteer. Oh, wow. Um, and I think it's fantastic with someone who will eventually one day, if we don't about abolish the monarchy, someone yeah. who will be the future <laughs> King of England, mm-hmm. is there actually... In really engaging with mental health and what it's really like for people on the ground. Because as Jessica rightly said, people are dying because of cuts to the NHS because our waiting lists for mental health services are six months long minimum. People don't have that long to wait when you're in crisis. Yeah. And so I do think that this institutional pressure and awareness from people like the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and celebrity attention is good because it does flag up that there is a problem with that. And I just hope that we remember the best way that we can actually counter that as a society is holding politicians to account. Yeah. Every time you vote for conservatives, they cut the NHS and that costs lives. Yes. Yeah. And we, we've had over a decade of austerity now mm-hmm. and it's no, um, no surprise, it's not a fluke that the mental health crisis has deepened during that yeah. time and suicide rates have increased during that time. Yeah. So hopefully that um, having someone of that stature of the establishment and the institution shining yeah. a light on mental health and taking it seriously is yeah. a big middle finger up to all those people who say, oh, it's all just in your head, pull yourself up, like yeah. stiff up a lip. All these young people who like, this snowflake millennial generation. Well, actually, like baby boomers, yeah, they have awful rates of mental health as well. Social media plays such a big factor. So I work a lot with influencers. So I, Matt, I see a lot of, I don't know, see a lot of issues. Um, issues in, ter- in terms of how, when their followers reach out to them um, and some of them reach out to them and obviously they're not trained. So then they panic and they come to me and then we try to connect them with the correct services. But also issues that a lot of our influencers have with anxiety and other things and then sometimes they'll share messages that are a little bit mixed online so I try to get them to pair it back speak to the correct people what 
would you like to see online, Jessica, that you think would actually be helpful? What do you think, what information would you like people to share? Or would you hope people would share? So this is another one of my things that I get on my high horse about is <laughs> social media and people saying, um, people that put that um, kind of post on social media for the likes saying mm -hmm. I'm here 24 hours a day, reach out to me, my door's always open, my kettle's always on. No. Is your door always open? No. Is your kettle always on? No. Are you going to stay awake 24 hours a day for the rest of your life in case somebody messages you? No. It's really irresponsible. And yeah. you, can, you can share those messages of hope without being irresponsible and without being unrealistic. So I'd like to see more of, if you are struggling, here's the number for Shout, here's the number for Samaritans, here's, um, you know, here's a website you can go to, here's an app you can use, here's somewhere you can drop in, mm -hmm. rather than it being kind of um, focused on the person that's posting it, which I find a lot of these posts are, yeah. all about, you know, the person that's posting it, and look at me, and I want to help, and it's, and it's great, and it, it, it's nice, and it's nice, but realistically, it's irresponsible. Someone messages you at three o'clock in the morning, and you're fast asleep, because guess what, you've been at work all day, like all of us, and you've got to yeah. come on with the kids. What, what does that person do then? Now, all it takes is for that person to become disheartened, because they've not got a response from you at three o'clock in the morning, and guess what, pal, you said you were <laughs> going to be available 24 hours a day. They're now disheartened. Yeah. It's perpetuated that idea that they've got, that they're worthless, and that n nobody cares about them, and for some people, that might be fatal. So actually, yeah. not being unrealistic, unrealistic, not trying to save the world, none of us can save the world, and actually signposting to the places that can offer that support and that are trained to offer that support. Yes, I mean, Jessica. Everything that you've said, these are conversations I've had with my own clients. So when I, when I started my agency, I actually um, have a, a psychologist that works with us on retainer, because I also appreciate being in the public eye is not normal. You, you know, it's not normal, and it's not normal now in the way where uh you know back in back in the day when we were all younger um you were essentially famous for p doing something else whether you're putting out art or you're sporty or whatever whereas now sometimes you can just be famous because you're really really pretty um and i don't even you know the psychological effects of that oof, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future but i used to make sure and used to actually tell my my clients you must have you must have these therapy sessions, you must speak to this person and make sure I had them on hand because I was just always so scared of where that would go. Um, and so many of them talked about anxiety and I felt like being this in this influencer space was, it felt like it was feeding it because you're in the thing where you're in a, an arena where you just, essentially it's just constantly putting yourself out for public judgment. And that, I, that's so hard. Go for it, Jessica. We have an ambassador, um, Andy McCluskey, from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. And yeah. the reason we have him is because he strikes a chord with, no pun intended there, he strikes a chord with men of a certain age that we know it's quite difficult to reach out to. He's a local guy and he's really supportive. And every time we post about him or doing any, anything in the press or he posts about us, we always have a disclaimer at the bottom to say, Andy is not trained to deal with your thoughts of suicide or your concerns about your mental health and here are some places that are and I think that's something that's really important and and doesn't happen that often um yeah. quite often I see like celebrities and that are ambassadors of places that, that post things um and they get a lot of inboxes but they don't know how to deal with those inboxes um mm -hmm. and they've not made it very very clear and if somebody's in crisis and they say oh look my favorite pop star is an ambassador for a place that deals with people in crisis i'll message him to yeah. them they've reached out for support mm -hmm. um so i just think it's really important to be very clear about that especially on social media yeah 
that's a really really good point and a really good message okay so because we're coming to the end of this now even though i'd actually happily speak to you guys for hours um you could listen to jessica talk a lot longer i know exactly i'm like what else what else do you want to tell us jessica i love it um i could do this all day <laughs> i love it um what tips do you have for people to safeguard their mental health at this time because obviously we've touched on seeing what we're seeing on social media and being affected by obviously what things are happening around the world being stuck in our houses potentially losing our jobs constantly making banana bread that we can't even actually eat because there's just so much of it you know uh, so yeah what would you say to people as we're easing out of lockdown and finding the new normal how should people look after themselves going to you alexis I would say go at your own pace mm -hmm. and do what is right for you. There is no one right or wrong way of coming out of lockdown. There is no one right or way of doing this. And I think one thing I've heard a lot of people say has been really nice about lockdown is that is that FOMO has effectively gone because you're no longer <laughs> seeing your mates at great parties or on holiday. Yeah. Remember that. And take that opportunity if you are still if you are starting to feel some of these societal pressures creep back in and you're starting to feel those concerns back in remember you can opt out and you can set your own boundaries so claim your time take the time you need and deserve mm -hmm. set your own boundaries about what does or doesn't make you feel good and don't kind of um don't diminish those for another person and then if you do decides to reach out, do it the moment that you think, actually, I think I might need help. Don't put it off and wait for something to get quote unquote big, because it doesn't have to be you're stood at the side of a railway bridge. It can just be, you know what, I'm not feeling okay right now. And if you have that conversation early and we normalize having that conversation early, that's how we get better at it. And yeah, but one final plug, uh, you can text start uh, or hello or, or shout to 85258 and a trained crisis counsellor like me will be there on the phone to talk to you 24 hours a day, like 365 days a year if you are in a crisis and need support. That's awesome. And Jessica, any top tips from you? Um, for me, I guess um, my biggest tip is something that I've had to um, do myself mm -hmm. and it's limit time that you spend on things that don't serve you very well. And for me at the moment, that's that's the news and mm -hmm. it's social media. Um, and yeah, so it's all so, it's all so much, isn't it? And you don't mm -hmm. need to watch the news 24 hours a day to know what's, what's going on. By all means, keep up to date with what's going on, but it's got to have a seriously damaging effect to your mental health if you are just consuming that negative information all the time. So limiting time that you spend on that and not expecting every day to be like a massive success story because it's this is not this is not normal like this is this is something totally different that none of us have been through before none of us are experts in like working from home homeschooling um how things are going to be coming out of lockdown none of us are ex experts on any of those things and to expect that you would be automatically is just unrealistic and i think the biggest one for me is to stop comparing yourself to other people don't compare yourself to other people some people might have gone through lockdown and um you know homeschooled their children perfectly well according to instagram and you know set up a lovely home home working office and stuff like that according to instagram um doesn't mean it's real it's probably not real and we yeah. see um 
men and women um on a daily basis and we have done since lockdown massively comparing themselves on social media to like super moms and saying well I'm not doing it right because so-and-so down the street has taught her child loads of stuff today and she's working from home and and it's pushing people to the point of considering suicide so stop comparing yourself to other people we're all going to handle this differently and the way you're handling it is absolutely fine to just yeah. stop with the comparisons it's not helping anybody oh that's great advice and like thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me as I said so much of this resonates and obviously we're talking about we talked about men's mental health but mental health in general this is a tricky tricky time for everyone we are in this completely unprecedented time if you aren't teaching your child mandarin it's okay if you aren't having a shower till 3 p.m which i am definitely haven't showered today and i'm not even going to lie about it i was literally about to say i don't think i've showered yet today (laughs) you just reminded me definitely haven't definitely haven't i'll do it before bed it doesn't matter who's here no one it's okay (laughs) i think i just think yeah what you were saying about not putting pressure on yourself it's absolutely key at this moment and you know obviously we've had lots of talk about be kind and the main thing is to try to be kind to yourself i know myself my own experiences with uh, mental health what you were saying alexis reach out before it gets too big is so key I myself had, you know, like a really tricky moment when I lost nine members of my family in less than two years. And that led to me being basically quite understandably pretty depressed. And I at one point I didn't leave my house for 40 days. So when it came down to the Rona, I was fine. (laughs) I was an old hat at this already. Um, But yeah, you know, and that was such a difficult time. But and then it took me to the point where one day I completely broke down in the middle of the night. And then I called my cousin because I let it get too big. And she was like, you know, I knew I knew it was coming. And I'm so glad you reached out. And she, everything she said and did was perfect. And I hope that if anyone can take anything away from that, there is someone then there's there'll be someone else and they'll be noticing. And even if they haven't noticed, they're going to be there and they're going to be listening. And there are services out there and people that will help you like the amazing Jessica and Alexis who joined me today. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciated this. And it's so lovely to meet you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Speak On. Make sure you like, subscribe and share. And to find out more about us and our upcoming events, please follow us on Instagram. S-P-E-A-K-O-N underscore. Speak On underscore. Thanks. Bye.